Hello and welcome to another episode of the Star Wars Saga Cast. My name is John Wilson and this is episode 27 of the show. And today is very, very sad. Because today we bid an oh-so-tearful goodbye to Pizzazz. The magazine that we have looked at every episode for all the last 15 or so episodes that has a comic strip about Star Wars in three pages every month. Yes, issue 16 is our final issue, and we're going to be taking a look at it, and then we'll be taking a look at issue 22 of the main Star Wars comic put out by Marvel Comics. However, before we do either of those, let's catch up and see what's going on with the UK this month. This is January 1979, and so it's a five-week month for the UK's publishing schedule, and their weekly Star Wars comic, which, you know, they very imaginatively entitled Star Wars Weekly, has five issues this month. Issue 48 is the second of a four-part reprint of The Keeper's World, which was the nine-part story that we saw in... The first nine issues of Pizzazz. So 48, 49, and 50 do parts two, three, and four of that story. Then in issue 51, they go back to the wheel saga that we're taking a look at, and they get issue 23, which I believe is the final part of that saga. So whereas we will be taking a look at issue 22 today, at the end of this month, they get issue 23 next month's U.S. issue published in two parts. So let's take a look at issue 16 of Pizzazz. Being January 1979, the world has been graced by the awe and spectacle that is Superman the movie. And on the cover of Pizzazz 16, we see Christopher Reeve decked out as the Man of Steel. His fist is out like he's flying, but his body is positioned like he's standing. So I guess he's just trying to look like he's flying while he's not sort of an awkward publicity photo. And his uh, voice dialogue box says, I consider it the greatest honor of my long career to be on the cover of a Marvel magazine. (laughs) Yes, um, with only one exception, Superman, of course, does not grace the covers of Marvel magazines because he is a DC hero. There was one special edition in 1976 called Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man, but it could be argued that that is a product of both company. I don't think you can say it's just a Marvel comic. So yeah, Superman on the cover of Marvel magazine, and he is oh so impressed by this. And you know what? He should be. Marvel Comics powerfully presents pizzazz, humor in the Marvel manner. We have Sean Cassidy. We have Hulk's IQ tests, Simple Teen Magazine, Sci-Fi Puzzles Games, Aliens, Blobs, Nerds, and even a feature article about the Big Palooka on the cover. Still no mention of Star Wars. These last three issues have left me rather disappointed, but they were correct. There is a four-page article on Superman, oh, Superman. Is it true that Lois Lane's stuntwoman was really Spider-Man's girlfriend and other vital questions by Sue Factor? So I'm not going to read through all this right now. I might come back and read it later. It's actually only a three-page article. The fourth page is prizes and cash. But there is um, an insert box. Scoop, scoop, the top secret Spider-Man, Superman connection. And there's a picture of Nicholas Hammond with Ellen Bry. 
Nicholas Hammond did play Peter Parker in the 1970s TV show, and Ellen Bry was pressed into service to do stunts as Lois Lane on Superman the movie. So that's a pretty fun little connection there. We keep on turning the pages. We see a two-page article on Sean Cassidy again. I've never heard of this guy, and he's been in like four issues of this magazine now. I don't know what's up with that. Along the way is a fake magazine cover for Simple Teen Magazine. Quiz. Do you waste too much time on inane quizzes? It's amazing how apropos that question still is today. I mean, how many useless internet quizzes have you taken this week? Not to point the finger, not to judge, just, you know, just saying. So, now we finally get to the best part of Pizzazz Magazine, which is Star Wars, continuing the adventures of characters from the science fantasy film by George Lucas, released by 20th Century Fox. Now, since this is the last issue of the magazine, we should have a nice, exciting conclusion to the Star Wars strip, right? Right. So this issue is entitled Showdown. Archie Goodwin is the writer. Dave Cockrum and John Tartaglioni are the artists. Rick Parker is the letterer and Nell Yomtov is the colorist. While a polar storm rages above, Luke and his companions move beneath the surface of Acuria 2 on a desperate rescue mission. Remember, they're going through the tunnel that was made by the ice worm, the near extinct species of giant worms on this planet. And, you know, they're, they're moving through it trying to you know, hope that they don't encounter an ice worm. But along the way, R2-D2 gets all in a tizzy. Freed, click, 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 boop, boop, boop. His sensors have detected heating equipment in Operation Master Luke directly overhead. A large unit such as a Stratohopper might have. And Luke thinks that this has to be the Imperial troops who captured Princess Leia. And I have to say that Luke Skywalker in this picture looks nothing like Luke Skywalker. I mean, the face is five kinds of wrong. The hair is bright yellow and it looks like the wrong cut uh i i it's not like carmine infantino is drawing him very close to the movie depiction either i don't know it just strikes me as being very very unluke like but that's okay we'll forgive him we'll keep on going so there is a heating element overhead that might be the people who captured princess leia uh that's the good part sir the bad is he's also detected a large living organism coming up the tunnel behind us. And sure enough, there's the ice worm. Colonel Odan, the rebel leader, opens up his blaster on it. Pachoo, pachoo, pachoo. And the ice demon next to him opens up his blaster rifle. Luke Skywalker doesn't use his lightsaber. He uses his blaster rifles as well. And with all the pew, 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 they are able to get onto their power skis or whatever they're called and make a beeline back down the other way of the corridor with all the ice and exhaust that their power skis kick up against their sensitive tendrils of the ice worm. They're hoping that it's enough to make him turn and turn. He does, but rather than burrow to the left or to the right or further into the earth, the ice worm burrows straight up toward the surface. The downed Imperial Stratohopper is waiting out the storm there, and this is where Luke has a chance to reconnect with Leia. Come on, up this hole it made! We've got to take advantage of the Imperials being busy with that thing! You just had a showdown with an ice worm, boy, don't you even want a breather? Sure, but I don't think Princess Leia can afford it. Let's move! And they climb up out of the tunnel, and as if an answer to Luke's fears, the Stratohopper barrels away. My troopers will deal with the beast, Princess. The storm's eased enough for me to use our emergency snow flyer to deliver you onto the Empire's polar base. Next issue, Pursuit. 
okay, so we saw Princess Leia get carried off by the bad guys. Luke was just too slow to save her. And next issue, we're going to see the dramatic. Wait, next issue, we're going to. But, but there is no next issue. But what am I going to do? I, I have to have more pizzazz. I have to know what happens to, to Luke and to Leia. And, and, and we're going to have to wait for another source to pick up the rest of the story. Which is exactly what will be happening, but it'll take us a couple of episodes to get to when that happened. So in the meantime, Pizzazz has come to an end. The story, however, has not. And it will be published in another outlet here in the near future. It's one of those things about 70s comics. Um, It was actually happening with comic heroes a lot, too. You'd have an ongoing storyline for a comic book that got canceled. And so the writer of that comic who was also maybe writing another comic, he would just take those plot lines and weave them into his other stories. So the champions, they had their stories wrapped up in Marvel team up, that sort of thing. So it was not too uncommon for the seventies, but let us turn our attention now toward star Wars issue 22. This is going to be our only main feature for a while now until we get to a place where we're going to change gears more on that in a couple of episodes. But Star Wars issue 22 is the book we're looking at today. And on the cover, Han Solo and Chewbacca are floating in space, ready to kill each other. There's no choice in this crazy arena, Chewie. Like it or not, you gotta kill me. Han Solo versus Chewbacca to the last gladiator. Adventures beyond the greatest space fantasy film of all. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away. There exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all. Continuing the saga begun in the film by George Lucas, released by 20th Century Fox. Every time I read that phrase about challenges of tyranny and oppression, there's some like half bit that comes into my mind about uh, the tyranny of evil men or the oppression of evil men or something like that. And I, I don't know what it is, but there's some memory of something I've heard popping into my head every single time I read that. Hmm. In any case, Archie Goodwin is our writer slash editor. Carmine Infantino is helped by Bob Viacek this time. They are the artists. C. Robbins is the letterer, B. Sharon, the colorist, and Jim Shooter, the consulting editor. I don't recognize either the name Robbins or Sharon, so I'm not sure what those first initials stand for, but we may find out in another issue. So just like on the cover, we open in Han Solo and Chewbacca in a hologram representation of space. It's a weight-free, gravity-free environment, and they're floating around with their blasters and their hand shields. Uh, they look like little balls when looked on from the front, but it's just a small reflective shield. There are a couple of other aliens. Looks like one, two, three, four aliens also in the arena with more coming in through a doorway. It looks like deep space, but that is illusion. Despite the floating planetoids, the shimmering star field, the zero gravity, this is an arena. And here... For the pleasure and excitement of patrons of the wheel, the galaxy's ultimate gambling establishment, a duel to the death is about to begin. Chewie, ah oh no, don't tell me you got roped into this madness too. 
and unfortunately for Han Solo and his Wookiee friend and first mate, this duel will be fought to the last gladiator. So it's Han Solo and Chewbacca, gladiator style of fight to the death. I told you this was going to happen. You didn't believe me. Why didn't you believe me? And so what can I say? They start fighting. Everybody starts blasting whenever their weapons are activated and the fight starts, except that Han Solo quickly realizes that his blaster has not been activated. So he is at the mercy, uh, only able to use his reflective ray shield. However, being reflective, it can actually reflect the blasts back toward the shooter or, you know, depending on the angle, off to other people. There are several planetoids floating in this gravity-free arena. Yeah, those are explosive, so you don't want to fall into one of those. And in fact, Han Solo almost does, holding out his shield and reflecting all the blasts that come at him, slowly pushes him back until he almost hits one, but his ankle is grabbed by his friend Chewie. Chewie! Great timing, old buddy. I must have hit a force field that set off this thing's vaporizer beams. Because the planet behind him is now shooting out blasts from various holes. Kind of reminds me of the, what do they call them? The hell pits of Apocalypse? Forget exactly what those things are called. Fire pits. The fire pits of Apocalypse. Yeah, it reminds me of those. Han decides that he and his friends should team up together, so he gives Chewbacca a plan where he'll cover the Wookiee's back with his own blast shield while Chewbacca starts taking out all the other opponents. But Chewbacca's ray gun also was non-activated, so he has ditched it. Wark! Seems suspicious when I got stuck way out of my class in the preliminaries, but this clinches it, big buddy. Someone's working overtime to see we don't come out of this any way but dead. Which is exactly correct. Senator Grayshade wants all of Princess Leia's friends killed, so Han Solo and Chewbacca are supposed to be killed in these games. Grark! Sure, there's probably more to it than that, but the only way we'll ever find out is to get ourselves a fighting chance in this stupid game, and that means offensive weapons, pal. So what he does is he finagles two of his opponents toward a planetoid, and whenever it explodes, he goes and grabs their blasters. And that is when we decide to change scenes to people who are viewing the match, Imperial Commander Strom and the Wheel Administrator, Senator Grayshade. Strom and Grayshade begin arguing about whether or not this was the best way to go about killing Solo and Chewbacca. But Grayshade points out that the gladiatorial contract requires only one winner, so that if Solo and Chewbacca team up, they will have to fight each other to the death, or risk being both slain by the overseers of the game. Strom's pleased with this. Until the drink that he's been drinking as he's been watching the game suddenly overtakes his system because Grayshade has had Strom drugged. And the Imperial commander for this galactic sector suddenly staggers and falls. Which signals, of course, a scene change. Luke Skywalker, Leia Organa, R2-D2, and C-3PO have been spying on and following a group of wheel security men. They have raided Strom's ship and taken all of the wealth that Strom was trying to blame the rebels for stealing. However, as they're following along, they realize they have been made and the wheel security men turn around and point blasters at them. Luke Skywalker immediately dies for the ground. There's a whole bunch of rolling and pew-pewing, and he's back on his feet and charging up the loading ramp of the docked spacecraft, taking out men as he goes. But in the corridor outside, as Princess Leia moves to help, Senator Grayshade himself catches up to her. Don't rush, your highness. Since I'm going that way myself, I'll accompany you. That way you won't have to carry that heavy blaster. 
Turns out the ship that Luke Skywalker is bent on conquering is actually Grayshade's private yacht, and only his handprints can activate the control locks. So he suggests that a truce be made between himself and Luke and Leia before the craft or Luke Skywalker within is damaged. And Leia confesses, you know, in our Senate days, I prided myself on seeing through all your schemes, but right now I'm quite confused about just what you're after. Don't worry, princess, I'm about to explain. And rest assured, it's more despicable and unscrupulous than you usually expect of me. Yeah, I'm a little bit confused as well. I mean, I know that Grayshay's been trying to pull one over on everybody since this whole thing started, but not exactly sure what his goal is. And we're about to find out, except that we have an interlude, where a Star Destroyer-class Imperial battlecruiser leaps through hyperspace, its great wedge-shape piercing the Doppler-distorted heavens, moving at the urging of one voice. Faster, Vermis. The slightest delay could cost me what I seek. Yes, this is Lord Darth Vader heading towards the wheel and towards our heroes. Darth Vader has detected somebody else who can handle the Force. And he needs to track this person down because this is a power that he thought was now his alone. He thought he was the last Force-sensitive. Although, you know, he says that. And there is still the Emperor, I know we haven't introduced the Emperor into the story yet beyond a name and a background thing. They've even referred to the Imperial family once in passing in Splinter of the Mind's Eye. But, you know, Darth Vader's wrong. He's not the only person left who can wield the Force. He's just the only person who can wield the Force who, you know, isn't old and stuck to a ship somewhere. He's the only one who's getting out and about and still active. The Emperor's an old man. He's weak. He has to, he has to use his cane so he doesn't get out as much. The interlude really doesn't serve any purpose other than to show us that Darth Vader is still on the trail from last issue, so we'll just keep on going. And what we find is a negotiation transpiring between Senator Grayshade and Princess Leia Organa, and the terms are found rather disgusting by Luke Skywalker. I can't believe this. I can't believe we're even discussing this. And Senator Leia tells us what's going on. You truly mean it, don't you? You'll defy the Empire, let their scheme be exposed, and my friends go free. All in return? For me? Senator Grayshade is a weird and twisted old man. He likes Princess Leia because he can't have her. And he says that under normal circumstances, as in our Senate days, you'd never give me the time to make you love me. I'm merely creating circumstances where you can. He wants to take his private yacht and his would-be lover out on a honeymoon cruise across the stars. It'll be awkward at first, but time will change that. Time and your promise, no more escapes. And to help them make their decision and show them how pressed they are for time, Grayshade turns on the TV to show the big game in progress. Han Solo and the large Wookiee Chewbacca have successfully put out every single other foe. We watch the last few of these victories on the screen with our friends. Then Han Solo and Chewbacca stare at each other. Han Solo says, you understand, you big furball, there's no choice. You gotta blast me. And do it fast. No. Damn it, Chewie, shoot. And they stare at each other. And Chewbacca does what he has to do. Fidow! And Han Solo takes the shot. Within the lounge of Senator Grayshade's space yacht, 
three viewers gasp. Han. Leia, I... I... I never anticipated this. I thought there'd still be time to... Don't apologize, Simon. You've won. I can't watch anyone else I care for destroyed. Not after Alderaan. And not after this. You've won. But no one ever gained a more empty and bitter prize. Don't miss next issue, Flight into Fury, our senses-shattering conclusion. How about that? Han Solo has been shot by his best friend and lifelong companion. Princess Leia has given her life in, I guess, you know, marriage or at least, you know, commitment to a man she finds distasteful and despicable. And Luke Skywalker, all he can do is stand back and watch. And all the while, Darth Vader gets closer and closer. This is Star Wars, kids. This is good stuff. So that wraps up our story. Now to look at our letters column. The first letter from the Star Wars column is from Tom Waits. He is very happy about the first part of this saga, The Empire Strikes from issue 18. And he's hoping to see the return of Darth Vader because just the regular hero clan, Luke, Princess, Han, Chewbacca, and the droids are getting dull. He says what you need is a real villain, not the same rebels issue after issue. And in the response, they do say, well, you know, Darth Vader is coming back as you've read. But they also have Jabba the Hutt in store because he's still after Han Solo and the hunter who was introduced in issue 16. Mike Sopp writes to complain that the sci-fi craze is getting a bit boring. Star Wars and Battlestar Galactica just don't hold his attention the way they used to. Now, Mike Sopp does not attribute this to the fact that he might just be growing up a little bit and his interests are changing, and neither do the replies of the letters and from the editors, but he does say that he prefers his science fiction fantasy to be more along the lines of the Dune trilogy or Terry Brooks's The Sword of Shannara. Uh, And... The reply is very thoughtful, talking about the differences between a monthly comic book like Star Wars that has to have elements of action and intrigue and adventure in every single issue, as compared to something like Dune, the Dune trilogy from Frank Herbert, that, you know, was worked over 12 years and probably only has scenes like that, you know, a few times in a book. So it's, it's, a, it's a thoughtful response. The Star Wars comic is an extremely different animal to the Frank Herbert Dune trilogy. And while one person can like both of them, you certainly can't really say that one is more justified than the other because they're just completely different. Then there's Lisbeth D. Becker. She thinks that she has found a boo-boo in Star Wars number 18. Han says quite clearly that the Empire wouldn't hit a Tag family ship since one brother is an Imperial fleet commander. But wasn't General Tag on the Death Star when it was destroyed? Of course I could be wrong. And yes, I've noticed the same line, but I thought that maybe perhaps they were going to refer to some brother or something. I don't know. However, the way the editor says, the film and novel of Star Wars have Tag on the Death Star for a conference early on in the action, but he doesn't appear again after that. His dialogue in the novel indicates he considers the Death Star Governor Tarkin's project and that he seems to resent the limelight and power being taken away from his Starfleet. Based on those things, we're taking the tack that Tag wasn't assigned aboard the Death Star and that he was only there for the conference departing after it was over. The reasons for us deciding to go with this interpretation will become clearer as we move into future continuities. If all goes well, you may even be glad to have been wrong. So that's really, really interesting. Now, they 
are wrong on one point. Tag does come back and show up again later in the episode around the time that they blow up Alderaan. But their logic could continue. He may have left the ship after that. And the final email is from Bill Spangler, who says that back in Star Wars 7, Luke Skywalker set out to find a new base for the Rebel Alliance and wants to know if this plot line is ever going to be resolved. And that's a good point, because, yeah, uh, you get the feel going into Star Wars issue 7 that it's like five minutes after the movie ended. They're all scared about the Empire showing up and they need to go find a Rebel base. So, you know, what are they going to do? And that has not really been resolved. Theoretically, there could be a gap of time, I guess, between the Drexel Waterworld story and this wheel saga. I mean, it kind of feels like one flies into the other. They're in the Millennium Falcon at one flying into space and going into the next one. They're still flying in space. But I guess it's possible that they could have found another rebel base before then. Also, with the long time that comics take to tell stories, this could only be a matter of days or a small hand full of weeks since the end of the Star Wars film. So anything's possible. The reply is that in issues 25 and 26, we will be looking in again on the Rebel stronghold at Yavin's fourth moon and see what's been happening since Luke was sent off on his ill-fated mission and got derailed onto the water world. So be patient, Bill. We are getting around to it. Bill made a passing reference in his email to the second film, and in the reply they say, just since you mentioned it, we should point out again, just for the record, since so many of you write in and ask about it, we don't have any information on what the sequel movie will cover that's strictly between George Lucas and those involved with the film. We are as anxiously awaiting it as the rest of you are. It's an interesting statement because I do think that in the conversations they had with George Lucas about possible plot lines, there had to have been things that were mentioned that Lucas knew were going to feed into a second film, even if nobody else knew it. So yeah, that's pretty cool. So that is our issue. Now, next episode, we are going to be no longer covering pizzazz. We're just going to be talking about the Star Wars comic, and that's going to be my usual format with comics is to talk about one issue per episode. Even when I'm covering different series that are being released in parallel, I'll be talking about one issue per episode and either bouncing around between series or doing an entire series as a whole, just depending on how I feel like at the time. So next episode, Star Wars 23, we get to find out what happens next now that Han Solo has been shot and killed forever and is never coming back. And also with Leia, who's going to go off with Senator Grayshade forever and never come back. And we'll find out about that next time. I hope you'll be there for it. And also do please remember to send in your emails and your iTunes reviews because episode 30 is going to be another feedback episode. And I'm looking forward to reading what you guys have had to say on the show. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to send emails, I'll read emails on the air and special email episodes. You can send those to the Star Wars Saga cast at gmail.com. If you just happen across this episode somewhere randomly, more episodes will be found at the Star Wars Saga cast.com or on iTunes under the Star Wars Saga cast. So thank you very much for listening. And until next time, my name is John Wilson. Thank you very much for listening to the Star Wars Saga cast and good night.